Welcome to the Citizens Report for the 2nd of July 2021. I'm Elisa Barwick. Joining me today is Citizens Party Research Director Robert Barwick. Welcome. Thanks, Elisa. And on today's show, there's more than one kind of banking panic. And when Australian politicians didn't kiss butt on foreign policy. Now, just a reminder, if you like this show, it will get much broader circulation. So please do that. Subscribe to a like we mean actually hit the like, hit the like button. button. Yes, uh, subscribe as well. You'll see the button right nearby, and you can also ring the bell to get notified when we put out new uh, shows and share it with your friends as much as you can. And Elisa, we're doing this not for self promotion per se, but we um, and we want to get our message out. We don't do this, we don't monetize this channel or any of those other motivations. It really is just to get the message out and we mm. need your help to do that. So it's not just about act passively watching it. Please actively watch it. Let's manipulate the Google algorithm like crazy and get it out there as widely as possible. And it makes a very big impact as you'll see in our first segment, which is there's more than one kind of banking panic. Uh, we really have the banks on the run. There's no two ways about it. We're going to go through a number of very important developments in today's show. So you're not talking about a financial panic where everyone runs on the banks. You're talking about the banks are in a bit of a, 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 an emotional meltdown mm. over the kinds of activities that we've been engaged in. That's right. So there's a number of things here, but they all point to extraordinary motion in the direction of a people's bank. Um, of one form or another. There's a number of ways how it could transpire. Um, but of course, that is one of the greatest, most terrifying fears of the banking fraternity. Elisa, in this week's alert service, which is, um, people know that uh, a lot of the content we cover on the show is, is elaborated in the alert service. The front page article there talks about how the significance of our campaign for a postal bank is beyond just, just the mechan mechanics of a bank that operates through post offices it's because the private banks are dead set opposed to any public competition, right? They want a private monopoly over banking because banking, the power of banking and the power of credit is actually awesome. Mm. It's enormous. And if governments ever use that for the common good, it shows up the private banks, right? So a lot of what's happened in the last 40 years in Australia began when this thing in 1982, the Campbell Report, said we've got to get rid of all public banks like the Commonwealth Bank, and they did. Mm. Right? So we're trying to get it back and they open the door through a postal bank. And, yeah, they're, they're not happy. Um, and so we see lots of interesting signs of that. Yeah. Now, so on that note, our intervention uh, when Christine Holgate was forced aside from the CEO position at Australia Post was really, really critical because what it brought to the fore... Uh, well, one, the intention to privatise Australia Post, and secondly, that people like not only Holgate but within the union movement and other circles were pushing to establish and to transform Australia Post into a postal bank. Yep. Um, so that was really the importance of our campaign. And that has finally been covered in the mainstream media where on uh, Monday night, Four Corners on ABC did their show post-mortem, the story behind the turmoil that's engulfed Australia Post. 
Now, we want to play a couple of clips from this show. Well, I, let me say this first. This was a... I don't want to judge Four Corners too harshly, but when you're as familiar with this story as we are, you, can, you know, Four Corners is supposed to be the premier investigative journalism show in Australia, and they're supposed to do a thorough job in their 45 minutes. It's so superficial and weak compared to the true story that we know, mm. right? But that said, I want to say two good things about it, and we're going to play both clips. The, there's two victories to definitely come out of this Australia Post campaign, and one was the exposing and stopping the agenda to privatise Australia Post. And this first clip is the best part of the Four Corners story because they have clearly seen that that agenda was exposed and they've added to the evidence of just how intent the government was on the private... They're all denying it now, but it's only because of the campaign. They were clearly intent going way back. So watch this. Emma Dawson was an advisor working on post issues in the office of the then Labor Communications Minister, Stephen Conroy. There was often, repeatedly, a lot of evidence coming up from the economic perspective that the parcels business was going to be worth a lot of money and could be sold for a significant one-off sugar hit to government finances. Certainly, I think, post-GFC, there was some discussion about that because uh, there was a significant deficit, obviously, that needed to be addressed, they felt needed to be addressed at the time, um, but it was never a serious consideration that, that an asset like Australia Post would be sold um, with, with any of the ministers or, you know, or the treasurer that I'm aware of. When the Abbott government came to power, it had an aggressive plan to rein in the GFC deficit. Selling Australia Post was placed firmly on the agenda. I used to work in the Department of Finance and it is pretty common knowledge that the Finance Minister always gets a brief about things that can potentially be sold. And just by their very nature, government business enterprises always are in the list because they're easy to sell. Can you rule out the sale of Australia Post? Well, again, I mean, I'm not going to speculate on what the Commission of Order may or may not recommend right now. A 2014 report from the National Commission of Audit recommended privatising Australia Post in the medium term. At the time, the Treasurer refused to rule it out. How confident are you in your abilities to sell contentious things like Australia Post given there's a campaign out there already? Look, uh, governments around the world have run out of money. And governments around the world have assets. The private sector is loaded up with cash. This is not some ideological bent on privatisation. As the 2014 budget was being prepared, the government engaged the Boston Consulting Group for the first time to assess Australia Post. They warned of a $6 billion loss over the next 10 years. I've seen numerous other consultant reports in my time in Australia Post and invariably they all say the same thing. You need to reduce your costs, your network is too big, your labour cost is way too high, you need to do something about this. Facing opposition from the Nationals, the Abbott government decided not to privatise. We've decided not to proceed with the sale of Australia Post. It's a coalition government. Uh, it's the Liberals in coalition with the National Party. And Australia Post is really loved in rural and regional Australia. Uh, the National Party is not going to look kindly on a privatisation. 
in the executive suites of Australia Post and in discussions with the government, Ahmed Fahour was still pushing to divest the parcels business. I can only say that the prevailing view was that seemed to be a very big thrust from the time that Star Trek were acquired. It may have been Ahmed's vision, but he... It didn't matter what vision he had, it's still the government makes its choices. The new Prime Minister determined the time wasn't right, but pointedly kept the idea alive. We have no plans to privatise Australia Post. I see no prospect whatsoever of Australia Post being privatised or being privatisable within the next term of government. What happens in the far-off future, who knows? So that ends in 2016 with Turnbull saying there's no appetite to privatise Australia Post for now in this, in this government, right? And, of course, that was a public announcement, but afterwards we know from what our campaign exposed that they had a secret Boston Consulting Group review of Australia Post, etc. That's what we exposed by the campaign. So we won't play it on this show, but at the end of the whole Four Corners story. Paul Fletcher was given the last word, the minister, the communications minister, and he said the privatisation of Australia Post is a non-issue, it won't happen. He, what he, was, he was resigned to the political reality now. This has blown up in their face. So we have stopped that, thanks to this. Though Angela Cramp, the very wise um, executive director of the LPO group, she is, I think she's someone who believes that the price of liberty is eternal vigilance. Because <laughs> she made the point that John Howard said, no, never, no way a GST, and they got the GST. So we have to hold their feet to the fire on this. But mm. right now, we've blocked it, so that's key. The second good thing about Australia Post, and this is in a backhanded way, they had to acknowledge our about role. About four corners. Sorry, about mm. four corners. There's lots of good things about Australia Post. Well, there was when Christine was there. The LPO groups are still the good thing about Australia Post. Um, the, they had to acknowledge, four corners had to acknowledge our role. And they wouldn't have, this is the part I love the most, they wouldn't have, if that mad snake senator, Sarah Henderson, hadn't attacked the Citizens Party and me in that hearing that we've talked about a few times before. Because she did that in the most ridiculous, insulting, vile way, right, calling us racist and anti-Semitic, Four Corners felt we better address this. And so in its own way, it's a backhanded acknowledgement of that we did this. We, without our campaign, there's no story. And when I say ours, I mean the Citizens Party's, people like Martin North who participated and, and the other channels that got involved and the broad community of supporters out there who became active, right? That's what's acknowledged in this clip. When she appeared at the Senate inquiry, Christine Holgate was flanked by her most loyal supporter, Angela Cramp. Another strong Holgate supporter is Robert Barwick from the Australian Citizens Party. This week, we are mobilising to get a lot of people who support us on this issue to call the two shareholder ministers for Australia Post and we want people to call with one message. Tell them to reinstate Christine Holgate. Some licensees are members of the Citizens Party. I certainly saw nothing that caused me any concern at all, ever. And I've, I've seen quite a lot of their um, media and their newsletters the Australian Citizens Party is a fringe political group that campaigns for the reintroduction of a national bank run through the post office network. 
the issue I'm raising, Ms Cramp, is that I think it would concern many Australians. It's also been accused of having controversial roots. You would be aware, Ms Cramp, the controversial foundations of the Australian Citizens Party, formerly known as the Citizens Electoral Council, which is based on the political leader Lyndon LaRouche, some type, someone who is said to be anti-Semitic, a racist and a conspiracy theorist. And... I might suggest that somebody said Christine Holgate had breached or misappropriated taxpayers' funds. So can I just you a, can't ask you to believe Can I just ask you to answer that question? Okay. They are supporting us. They are citizens of Australia. Are you saying that the citizens of Australia should not be supporting Australia Post? I don't want to offend them here, but I'd never heard of the Citizens Party before. But you did know that they were engaged with the licensed post offices at some point? I definitely did know. And did you find that...? Because they were incredibly supportive. And were you comfortable with that? Well, I have no reason to be comfortable or uncomfortable because they are a group of people no different than many different aspects of all the political parties. You know, when you lead a company like Australia Post... You cannot be judgmental about somebody's views. You have to embrace all Australians. Now, Lisa, I get a bit shy when I'm on TV like that. <laughs> um, but I want to say, in my mind, I'm thinking it's like a reverse Spartacus, right? So I'm, I'm Spartacus and I'm saying, everyone stand up, you're all Spartacus, right? Because this really is, yeah, they singled out me, but this was, I was just the front guy for a very big campaign. That's you, the viewer. Mm. If you made a call, if you sent an email, you are the guy that was singled out there and effectively acknowledged. So pat yourself on the back. Yeah. Now, the second victory in this campaign that we've just had is that on Wednesday, that Bank at Post deal that Christine Holgate um, was the originator of was just renewed by the Commonwealth Bank and NAB for 10 years. Now, Westpac is still in negotiations. It's due to expire in a year for Westpac. Um, but they want a long-term deal. And even ANZ has opened the door again. Let me just say this. 10 years, this was completely up in the air. Mm. The banks were being, frankly, um, bastards. As soon as Christine was moved off, they, they whacked up uh, fees. fees on Bank of Post transactions. There was no indication that they were going to do the right thing by renewing this deal. It was all up in the air. Thanks to this campaign, what did we do? We put an enormous floodlight of attention on the fact that this was the greatest deal in Australia Post history. That alone would have made it impossible for the banks to pull out of, mm. right, the PR of that. And then secondly, it really is the Australia Post bank campaign. The idea, it spooks them. Mm. This is why we're saying the banks are on the run, right? The, the, the banks are in a panic. They don't want a postal bank. So now they're saying to people, look, we'll give you a 10-year deal. You don't need, you don't, Australia Post doesn't need to become a bank. Well, they can be our agents for the next 10 years, yep. right? Um, that doesn't mean we accept that it's good, it's good for LPOs that got the deal. When we, though, see that we've got them on the run, we've got to keep them on the run, right? And we're yep. going to push this postal bank issue like hard because, yes, it's good the LPOs have got the deal, but it doesn't change the nature of what the private banks are like. Mm -hmm. We need a public bank to force them to compete. And the best way to have a public bank in the most immediate way is through a, as a postal bank. Now, there's another victory of sorts, and that's where um, you might remember in the last few shows, we've been discussing the fact that we put together a resolution that you can take to your local council and any other kind of government organisation, body, business group, 
uh, to get their support and to get them to pass a resolution that they can then promote to the local and federal MPs to build the pressure from the bottom up onto these guys um, to get the People's Bank at the post office. Well, the National Party has put forward a motion, this was on the 24th of June, tabled by Senator Perrin Davey, um, which was very similar, although a watered down version of that resolution um, that we wrote. It calls for a parliamentary inquiry into the availability of regional banking services and noting the closures of bank branches being detrimental to regions and so forth, it calls it calls on the banks to stay open, which is rather it begs the banks, please weak. stay open. please stay, keep your branches open. So this, however, was an important initiative, and we'll see where this goes. But it follows uh, two weeks earlier, where the decentralisation minister, who's also in the National Party, Andrew G, said banks are using the cover of COVID to abandon rural communities, and talked about the 300 branches that have shut down in the last year, and proposed a plan to impose minimum service requirements on the banks. He's in the electorate of Calair in New South Wales, where. Two, the last two Commonwealth Bank branches in Blaney and Molong were just shut down a month ago and the community's very unhappy about it. The CBA's response to it is uh, shocking. They said, we will visit local Australia post facilities to review services and look for areas to make improvements. So they just throw it all back on Australia Post. Um, and the other thing it follows is that uh, George Christensen, you may recall, had held an inquiry diversifying trade and investment, which we pretty much hijacked with all our supporters putting in submissions saying you need a national bank if you want to you know, have investment yeah. in the country. And at the end of March, that final report of that committee intervened to call for the establishment of a national development bank to assist in development of Australian manufacturing capacity. Well, and the other thing that is worth mentioning because in this context is the second coming of Barnaby Joyce. Mm. Um, because uh, while Barnaby was on the back bench, um, the leader of the National Party was not Michael McCormack, it was Dormat McCormack. Um, total Dorm, we should call him Matt, Dormat to the Liberal Party. And the, the Nationals got quite restless. And that, you know, they were getting very frustrated by that. Um, because the Liberals are 100% wholly owned by the banks. And I can tell you, the most anti-bank faction of the, of the major parties is Barnaby Joyce's National Party faction, right? So they're now back in there, and this, this, this motion itself, the Perrin-Davy motion, I suspect, is an example of that. Um, and I'm not saying they're great, because if they were, we'd go join the National Party. They're not. But there's a capacity there that, based on what we do, right, where we set a pace... Um, we set the direction of what has to be done. It forces that kind of potential to become a reality, mm. right? Where they say, well, just for purely political reasons, if we don't say what the Citizens Party is saying or whatever, if we don't take ownership of that policy, we're going to lose ground to them, right? And, and that's what you can make change inside of politics from outside of politics. Mm. And that's what we've been doing all along. And let me just say quickly, hopefully um, in August, there's a really good chance that in August, uh, Bob Catter will introduce the Commonwealth Postal Savings Bank bill, right? The bill's there, and um, that will be through about six or seven weeks' time. That'll be an introduction of that bill, and then we're off to the races. Mm. So um, there's a lot to do in the campaign in the short term. Get involved in the resolution campaign. Take our resolution to your local council, to your chamber of commerce, in your towns, and say, come on, 
move a motion to pass this resolution so we can get to Parliament that there's lots and lots of councils and communities around Australia saying we want a postal bank. Mm. Now, finally, on this front, another way that we're keeping the pressure on the banks intensively uh, is our um, exposure of the regulators and the fact they're not, they're not actually regulating. Uh, and we revealed on the show in recent weeks that the same day that Christine Holgate was thrown under the bus, the head of ASIC, James Shipton, um, and his um, deputy were also both, the process started to force them out because they were beginning to make ASIC an actual regulator to police the bank. So we're going to run a short uh, ad we've put together on that. New evidence shows that another head of a government agency was given the Christine Holgate treatment. I'm Robert Barwick, Research Director of the Citizens Party. James Shipton, who had been Chairman of ASIC, was given the Christine Holgate treatment because he dared to step on the toes of the big four banking monopoly. We'll tell you the rest of the story in a minute, but this is another demonstration that the best way to break the stranglehold of the big four banks is with the Commonwealth Postal Savings Bank. As the Citizens Party has previously reported in detail, on October 22, 2020, Christine Holgate was falsely and maliciously accused of recklessly spending taxpayers' money. She rewarded Australia Post executives who had landed the deal of the century. The deal got three of the four big four banks and 70 other smaller institutions to reimburse Australia Post $220 million for banking services provided to those banks' own customers in post offices. She also opposed the plan to privatise Australia Post. So she was targeted for removal. On that same day, last October 22nd, James Shipton was also falsely accused of recklessly spending taxpayers' money. He had also angered the big four banks because, as chairman of ASIC, the corporate regulator, he stepped up enforcement actions against them in the aftermath of the Banking Royal Commission, which revealed many of their crimes. He even had the nerve to say publicly to the bankers, I am up here today saying something as basic as obey the law. As Scott Morrison might say, I'm appalled, it's disgraceful. Then Shipton came into conflict with Treasurer Josh Frydenberg. Shipton said the responsible lending laws were not causing any economic concern and there was no reason to weaken these laws. For these offences, James Shipton was targeted for removal. Treasurer Frydenberg replaced Shipton with Joe Longo. The media reported Longo was, quote, business friendly, which really means big four friendly. How can the stranglehold of the big four be broken? Of course, we need real regulations and honest regulators, but we also need to restructure the financial system itself. By establishing a Commonwealth Postal Savings Bank, we force the big four to compete, thereby breaking their monopoly. The mere presence of a public banking alternative will support the regulatory health of the financial system. The CPSB would invest in the real economy rather than speculative bubbles. Please sign our petition calling for a National Australia Post Bank. The scathing Senate report that exonerated Christine Holgate has created a new political environment in Australia. The time is ripe if we act forcefully and urgently. Please sign our petition and join the fight. So let's move on to our next subject. When Australian politicians didn't kiss butt on foreign policy. Now, Lisa, I feel I have to give a trigger alert because we're going to be talking about 
Well, we're weighing into the debate about China, 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 China. And our role is to put in a comma in the China, 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 China. Just a little bit of a pause so people think maybe there might be something else going on here. So trigger alert, because people get triggered by this. Sorry, we are going to keep telling you when facts contradict prejudice. Mm. Now, but before I do, um, there's a th I have to comment on what's happened this week. Donald Rumsfeld died, and he's been all over the news, and you've all seen him. The, crim the war criminal of Iraq is dead, but it doesn't matter, he's a war criminal of Iraq, right? Pretend he's the, the you know, two-time Defence Secretary of the United States. Um, let's just eulogise him. No big deal, it doesn't matter, there's a million dead Iraqis because of what he did. There's another guy who died this week, another great American named Mike Gravel, who was a congressman from Alaska, who um, did more than anyone else to release the Pentagon Papers in 1970, right? So, and the way he did it was he read those papers into the congressional record. Mm. And, and then he was very instrumental. It, like, this guy really stood up to the war party in the United States. That was crucial in bringing the Vietnam War to an end. Absolutely it was. It was. And he, he did it his whole life. And there's great, you can look him up on YouTube, Mike Gravel, 2008 primaries um, with Hillary Clinton and Barack Obama. And look what he, he accused them of being warmongers before they even took office and he was dead right. Right, so he's the guy that should be eulogised this week, not Donald Rumsfeld, but the same people that eulogised Donald Rumsfeld tell you everything you want to know about China. And that's why we contradict it, because it's garbage, and we're going to give an historical example that mm. should be inspiring to Australians. Mm. So on uh, the 1st of July, the Australian Financial Review put out an article, How Australia Defied USA to Sell Wheat to a Famine-Starved China. And just by way of background, from 1949, Australia, um, all, all countries basically cut off ties with China, diplomatic ties. However, Australia kept uh, diplomats in Hong Kong and regularly visited the mainland to maintain dialogue, sort of in contrast to everybody else. The US, for instance... Well, this was had an initiative of one politician in particular. Yes, which we'll come to. But the US had a complete trade embargo with China, for instance, from 1950. Now, in 1959 to 62, China underwent an historically bad famine. Uh, people were starving. In Australia, the country party leader, Black Jack McEwen, John McEwen, um, his attitude was different to everyone else. Everyone else stuck to their guns and said, we're not going to feed, help feed China. And, and he was extremely concerned, McEwen, about the citizens, the people themselves that were going hungry. He said, we cannot deny a country food. And of course, he said it would not help the cause of peace, that's for sure. He, in a note to Menzies, the Prime Minister, regarding US-China relations, he said, quote, it is against the national interest that those relations with China should be worsened. And yet the coalition opposed him all the way. External Affairs Minister Paul Hasluck said at one point that critics may suggest that Australia is assisting that country, China, in its foreign policy objectives of influencing non-aligned nations against the West. And McEwen uh, retorted basically, look, if China is starving, it would be a greater threat to the world if that is indeed the case. Um, Britain and the US uh, were not happy that Australia uh, was making these moves to help feed China. And that was revealed in archived documents that have just been released and reported in this AFR article. US Secretary of State 
um, wrote a memo at the time to President Johnson expressing US unease over, quote, Australia's increasing dependence on communist China as a market. Now, Australia did move ahead at Blackjack McEwen's insistence to supply the wheat. And in February 1961, we, made the, we had the biggest foreign purchase of wheat since World War I. That trade continued even throughout the Vietnam War with no interruption and is one of the major reasons why China became our key trading partner. So was Blackjack McEwen a pinko? Was Jack, Blackjack McEwen a commie lover, right? The people who call me Chairman Barwick Mao would call, what would they call him? Chairman McEwen, right? Because he insisted on this. No, no, Blackjack McEwen was a giant of Australian politics. He was the, essentially the founder of the, country, the modern country party. And I, and I want to send a message to, country, to national party politicians. They all put him up on the pedestal. Well, be like him. Right now, it's the small-minded national party politicians that are the biggest China bashers in Australia, right? He, what he did, start, we have a, an excellent trade relationship with China, which is massively in our favour. Mm. We, make, we make $70 billion a year net profit from trading with China. We lose $30 billion a year trading with the United States. It's massively in our favour in China, yet because of our intellect, uh, strategic subservience to the United States, and it's not just the strategic relationship, it's our emotional and intellectual subservience, mm. right? Where we're saying, oh no, we will do all the bidding of the Anglo-American powers. The stakes were higher then, frankly, mm. right? And he had, a, he had a moral dimension to what he did because, yeah, you don't starve people. But um, he also knew that, hang on, we're laying the foundation of a good trade relationship here, Right, and that was his primary concern. And I say this was a politician who was prepared to think independently mm. and act independently with an independent view of what's in Australia, what is Australia's national interest. That's all gone. We had the pleasure, I had the pleasure of getting to know Malcolm Fraser in the final years of his life, and he wrote a book, Dangerous Allies, which made the same point. He, was, he harked back to that generation, right, where they were never commies, they were never pinkos, they were strategically always allies with the United States and the United Kingdom, but they did not lose a sense of what's in Australia's national interest. And what we've got is small-minded, pygmean statesmen um, today, right, wannabe upstarts who are jumping to the tune of the people who are on the same page as Donald Rumsfeld, and they're exactly the same people, Lisa, exactly the same people who said to Australia, you shall become the enemy of China, and we did, right? And it's nuts, it's crazy, and with, uh, without us having the people like McEwen, like Fraser, who prepare to stand up to that, mm. we will end up in the worst of all possible scenarios, which is a devastating war, the way it's going. Yep. Right? So learn from history, people. Let's get a bit of self-respect back in this country. We know these were truly great people like Black Jack McEwen. If you're a National Party supporter, pay attention to that. And that's all we're saying here. There's a lot of propaganda that comes out about China. Think it through, not from a standpoint of being f afraid, or oh, we need America on our side all the time. Think it through from what would a truly independent national interest be in Australia? And let's pursue that. Yep, we have to keep pushing against the tide of these misinformation campaigns.
that could only end in horror. Yeah. Um, now, that's the show for this week. Don't forget to like, subscribe. If you still like the show after if that. If you do. <laughs> please like it. Uh, Maybe you can add a dislike as well, whatever. Let's just trick that algorithm and get this promoted all over the place. Yep. We're, we're winning the Kiev battle, which is the battle against the banks. Yep. And share it anyway in the course of, in the, yep. for the cause of dialogue and to get a bit of debate, which at least the AFRs contributed to this week. And can I encourage people to make, the other thing that helps with, with this is make a lot of comments. Make, you know, feel free to weigh in and... I do try and check the comments and um, if you're provocative enough, I'll reply to you um, and other people will as well. But definitely feel free to make comments. Keep them legit. Don't, don't go uh, racist or anti-Semitic or anything like that. Um, you, know, be, you, you know, be polite. But if you want to have a debate on the, on the comments, go ahead. Yeah, we need more of that. So thanks, Robbie. Thanks, Alyssa. Thanks for tuning in and we'll see you again next week.